0: Venny Veni Venias veni and welcome to our podcast. Hello, and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight as always is Dr. Jesse News. Hello! So this is going to be part two of our program on England before ten sixty-six. Yes. Last time we talked about um, a lot of good stuff, actually. We talked about ship burials in uh, Sutton Hoo. Yes. Which is... In East Anglia. Yes. A sort of Viking tradition where you bury an entire ship. Yes. With a lot of stuff. Yep. um, Which is sort of referenced in Beowulf. I think we're going to talk more about Beowulf tonight. For sure. Yes. Uh, We talked about the... Northumbria, right? Northumbria, yes.
1: Um, yeah, well, we we talked about um, we started actually with Roman Britain, so we will give people a quick reminder, yes. right? That Britain is Celtic, um, and the Romans move in. I mean, they invade, of course, <laughs> is what I mean. <laughs> um, and then it's their M.O. they do some some big things. We sort of talked about them, right? Things like Hadrian's Wall, and of course, they build York um, and London. Um, various places, right? That really the Romans help create into the cities yes. that we know today. Um, Constantine, it's one of those. When you say, "What
0: have the Romans ever done?" Yes, France? exactly. Well, they built London. <laughs>
1: yes, which of course this is a reference of obviously to Monty Python, who are British and are therefore really yes uh, having a full on callback,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which I believe they knew. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes.
1: Um, and of course, we have their holy and that's that's of course right um separate from holy grail which they also did which we'll talk about arthurian stuff separately but we did mention him last time arthur is of course king of the britons this is what uh he says what graham chapman as arthur says i'm arthur king of the britons um and this is a reminder king of the what Hmm? yes (laughs) i didn't vote for you yes and then we get the whole commentary on kingship and how do you become king which is kind of yes. hilarious, and um, but also is a very pointed reference from Monty Python, um, that politics did work in a lot of ways, honestly, that we kind of recognize today. Um, so kings were frequently elected. Hamlet, in Hamlet, we will recall, um, is not king, even though his father was. And of course, it's sort of easy to say, well, you know, obviously his uncle spoiler alert (laughs) his uncle murdered his father (laughs) and managed to become king all partly by marrying the queen but also he was elected um and claudius says this to the assembled nobles or whoever um, that you know they elected him this is this isn't his first big scene um and hamlet actually says um that he that Claudius popped in between the election and my hopes, which gives the impression that Hamlet wants to be king and that Claudius, like, stole the election. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that isn't quite true. It's not clear, really, how much Hamlet wants to be king. But it also isn't clearly really true that Claudius stole the election. Um, He's a more obvious ruler, honestly, right? Hamlet stole a young kid, a young college kid, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, And so... The idea that um, you know that he he's not automatically king. Like this is basically the point. Just that Hamlet isn't yeah. automatically king just because his dad was and is now dead. <laughs> um, Side
0: note: I believe on YouTube um, there is a really good uh, video of Patrick Stewart playing. Oh God! Claudius. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Patrick Stewart totally like entrancing and worth yeah worth watching um, yeah
1: Claudius is one of his favorite roles and he not only has played it many times like in different productions um, he also did oh gosh what is it called it's like it's John Barton's series on like where you know famous actors who are mm-hmm. also good actors probably British um, but anyway uh, where you know great actors talk about their favorite roles or their favorite soliloquies so and Patrick Stewart does his on Claudius. So you can find that as well. Oh, you can find him talking okay. about Claudius. Um, and sort of why he likes him. And all this stuff. Yeah. Um, yes. So, absolutely. That's how I recommended We'll try and link to some of the videos. But, yeah. Um, but Claudius' first speech in Hamlet. Which would be Act 1, Scene 2. I'm going to say. Um, where he's just married Gertrude, of course. Which is his sister-in-law a little weird but we're gonna talk a lot of kings did this i mean shakespeare's not making stuff up obviously right um mm-hmm. you marry the queen if she's still around because it helps solidify your claim um in this case they are a little more closely related than you know that's not quite cool obviously like if they had been cousins or something uh you know in this case i mean he's marrying his sister-in-law so that's a little bit meh but it, it happened it definitely happened um, it's very Norse. Uh, anyone who's, you know, knows Wagner or Tolkien's version of stuff, um, you do get a lot of mm-hmm. first cousin marriages. Um,
0: it's a lot of um, sort of Victorian stuff too, like oh, of Oscar Wilde and yes, I think yes. yeah. At the end of the importance of being earnest, they find out their first yes. cousins, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. S- spoiler yep. alert. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Right. So again, this this is a little bit closer, but it did definitely happen um, because you know, for example, Henry VIII um, marries his brother's widow. Basically, Arthur was su- so. <laughs> this is why we come back to Arthur. Aside from the fictional, mythical King Arthur, who stands for a variety of things that we'll we talked about a little bit last time, we'll talk about a little bit again today. I just hit the table. Whoops. Um, No English king has been named Arthur. (laughs) Um, And this is because um, they keep having (laughs) trouble. (laughs) Which is to say, it's this mythic name. You'd think people would become Arthur. But Arthur's, you know, Arthur was supposed to be king. Henry VIII's older brother is named Arthur, and he does not make it to the throne. And so it's just mm-hmm. the thing that doesn't happen anymore. You do not name them Arthur, at least not as their first name. Um, and I remember when the, you know, the current sort of royal lineage, um, there was a big thing, like, were they going to name their first kid Arthur? And a lot of people were like, oh, this will be the time. And I was like, no, it is never going to happen because I, it's yeah. it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, that was what, like, the last real try and nope <laughs> no more no arthur's um so henry the eighth's older brother he does not make it to the throne of course henry the seventh was not supposed to be followed by henry the eighth i mean it's, we probably forget this if you don't study these things but he was supposed to be followed by arthur um he's not and uh <laughs> he's followed by henry who is not the oldest son um and henry the To keep that alliance, Catherine of Aragon. So he is married to his brother's wife. Uh, He was allowed to do this because um, it was claimed that the marriage had never been consummated. So therefore, it wasn't maybe strictly appropriate. But then after they had been married for a very long time and not had any sons, this is one of the things that Henry VIII used to divorce Catherine, was to sort of say, God is displeased with this marriage. Um... Shouldn't have happened. That's why God won't give us any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it didn't work uh, because the Pope didn't want to piss off Aragon, so um, Henry had to <laughs> leave leave Catholicism and found his own church. But anyway, that's a, well, that's a story for a different time. Um, but the basic point of... <laughs> yes, so Claudius marrying Gertrude isn't... Obviously, this marriage was consummated, though, because Gertrude and the previous king had a son hamlet but here claudius marries her um, but he says in this speech right there are sometimes sister now our queen the imperial jointress of this mm-hmm. warlike state meaning of course that she has joined it together she has kept it unified the idea being that without this it may have disintegrated into civil war right you got a lot of warlike people here um they are danes right they're this sure, sort of this yeah. sense, right so um, but this is very much like England at the time actually right at the time we assume this is sort of happening um, and so yeah so she sort of kept them united Claudius is clearly a strong leader um, and he says you know so taken to wife um, nor have we herein barred your better wisdoms which have freely gone with this affair along and that's to the assembled nobles right so they elected him king. And basically suggested he marry his brother's wife to keep the sort of unity of Denmark, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other funny things that we see throughout is that later, of course, um, Hamlet is sent to England because the idea that the king of England will do what Denmark wants him to because Denmark is a uh, powerful and presumably raiding England, right? We are talking about the Vikings, who are raiding England. Mm -hmm. And then England kind of has to do what the Vikings say, or they will come in and raid it. I'm just
0: going to say that Hamlet feels like the worst Viking ever. Like, maybe (laughs) I have preconceived notions of what Vikings are, but, like, sort of a moody philosopher who wears black and sighs a lot is not... Toward the top of the list.
1: Well, somebody had to write all the sagas, right?
0: Oh, that's true. So that's true.
1: He may be a better, but this is a good explanation for why he doesn't become king, right? He's maybe a better chronicler <laughs> than yes, than a warrior, and he's clearly not a warrior. I mean, this is why Fortinbras in the end is clearly is clearly the right choice for king. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets it because nobody else is around. But he, on some level, is a better choice than <laughs> Hamlet. Hamlet says so himself. Again, he has this great speech Act 4, scene 1. How all occasions do inform against me. Um, Yeah, where he recognizes Fortinbras as a really good leader. Um, And Fortinbras is clearly, right? Um, So, Mm -hmm. and we will mention, by the way, Fortinbras, of course, is Norway. He's the son, or he's the... grandson? Old Norway? Does that seem right? Anyway, he's in line for the throne of Norway is the point. Um, and he was going to fight Denmark, he agrees not to, and is willing to go off and fight Poland instead. (laughs) Um, It's a reminder of how all these battles are working, right? This is really a time of territorial dispute where some nations are gaining territory and others are losing it. Um, And so we sort of discussed, England has got um, Northumbria, which is in the north, um, and East Anglia, where Sutton, who is, is on the coast, in the east, right, <laughs> um, and then we have like Essex and Sussex and Kent, which get swallowed up pretty quickly by the other things. They're important, but they do end up kind of getting swallowed up by Mercia, for example, which is in between Wales and East Anglia, essentially, and Wessex,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is the the big one that is going to eventually kind of become England. Um, and so we talked last time, we talked a little bit about Northumbria and sort of religion and also religion in Canterbury. Interestingly, that's sort of where it gets really set up. Um, Mercia kind of taken over, Offa. Of, um, and this is sort of what happens when the Romans finally leave. We had the Celts fighting the Romans, um, Boudica, for example. Um, Arthur grows out of this legend, this idea of a kind of united Britain fighting off the Romans. Um, the interesting point, of course, is that the most famous person to have done that is a woman, not a guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyhow, so Arthur Arthur King of the Britons, right? He's theoretically, in that instance, he would be Celtic. What happens, though, is when the Romans move out, a lot of other places nearby, like Denmark and Norway, and um, the northern coast of Germany. People who live along those areas see a power vacuum right Mm -hmm. um constantine as i said is is crowned in york and heads off to his empire um and eventually as the romans sort of decide britain isn't worth it and pull out (laughs) um they got other stuff going on elsewhere these other places people move in um and so the the celts really are british that's britain but they get pushed out pushed into wales pushed into scotland pushed into various other areas. So, for example, languages like Cornish do survive in well into the Middle Ages and beyond. I mean, some of these things survive really even into the sort of 19th, 20th centuries. Um, but they do start to get mushed. Uh, and that is by the people who then consider themselves English, which is really where we get the term English to begin with, the people mm-hmm. who are moving in from northern Germany. Um, and possibly also they've also been sort of moving into France. So some of them may be coming at this point from Northern France, but they are Germanic. We are talking about the Saxons, Angles, Jutes, right. Um, And they settle in. And so they really become, this starts England as we sort of know it and old English as we know it as a language. um, Because that's why English is Germanic (laughs) and not Celtic. Mm -hmm. Breton is also not the same because really that's different, but (laughs) um, old, what would have been British, old British, I guess would would have been Celtic.
0: More like um, Gaelic?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, Celtic and Gaelic, yeah. Um, and so um, Breton which is spelled B-R-E-T-O-N generally, I guess um Mm -hmm. which is kind of Bretonic um, is today um, associated with Brittany in France, and it's the only Celtic language I think that has sort of survived, that survived that long, that survived mostly in, on, in Europe, in mainland Europe, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's connected, I think, to Cornish, um, which, of course, as I said, does sur- did survive for a long time in England. Um, but that's a sort of reminder, right, of th- that those languages were there and they were important. And the fact that the Romans, of course, come in and take over and make everything a Romance language. And then some of the Germanic peoples who come in and take over and we get Germanic languages, those become so, so dominant that we forget how important Celtic languages were in a lot of areas. Um, mm-hmm. So this is kind of where, where we left off. Uh, we didn't quite, we got to the fact the Vikings are invading. Um, they start to invade kind of regularly. So we we have already had sort of um, a an invasion and really colonization by Germanic peoples. Um, so by, like, the Saxons, the Angles, the Jutes. Um, and they are, they've colonized. They're out. They're hanging out. So that's why, like, East Anglia, Sutton Hoo, right, this is all... Um, this is Old English, right? So this is Germanic. that's why they are doing Scandinavian type things like ship burials, right um so um the Vikings who are we're really specifically talking about Denmark, <laughs> right um they they come raiding occasionally. Um, they've been raiding also the northern coast of what is now France. Um, and even into France a bit, the Carolingians, they've they've been raiding. They like to raid England. Um, and this is why, you know, as again, like Claudius can sort of threaten England, you have to do what we want. Because that is the history, right? So they're raiding, raiding, and they start to get a little more serious about this. Um, so if we have the Um, the Romans pulling out basically in the 400s, kind of the the early 400s, um, and everyone else kind of moves in, um, Sutton Hoo, um, in East Anglia, specifically the burial, right, um, is circa 630 based on coins. Um, by 794, East Anglia is going to essentially be conquered by Mercia, right? So, um, at this point, um, right, Mercia sort of starts to expand, um, and we had sort of mentioned Offa famously, um, and he dies... Uh, it's like 796 um and so you'll notice that's a couple <laughs> years after the conquering east anglia right off of really is sort of the supreme power of mercia um and that's that's kind of its height right and this is sort of where we left it um because mercia you know at this point it's conquered east anglia but the really central part of mercia had been um sort of buffered from the Vikings by East Anglia. <laughs> and in in mm. 869, this area will be conquered by the Danes. Um, so they they start raiding. They start to move in. They make their sort of big push, interestingly, um, in 878. They've already been raiding for probably about 100 years, but this is when they really sort of decide to make a big push. Um, They're defeated in this case, finally. (laughs) They're actually defeated. So there's actually a battle in 878. Uh Uh, It's the Battle of Eddington. Um, And Alfred, who will eventually become known as Alfred the Great, he is known as the first English king. Um, He is king of Wessex, which we noticed we haven't quite Mm -hmm. heard from yet. (laughs) um he defeats the vikings specifically under guthrum um so guthrum leading the vikings at the battle of eddington in 878 okay um and this is generally speaking if you are telling english history in sort of pop culture terms um this is sort of where we get the beginning of england Um, It's going to take a while, because every time the Mm -hmm. Vikings make a push, there is the immediate impetus for the island of Britain to fall back apart into its sort of constituent pieces, which are kind of Northumbria, which also actually breaks into some specific pieces of its own, Um, Mercia, Wessex, you know, so these areas do still think of themselves potentially as separate, even though there are people unifying them, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so even though Mercia, rubber has sort of been moving in on, you know, like Sussex and Kent and so on, um, East Anglia, uh, Wessex is moving in on these areas, they still kind of think of themselves potentially as separate if they're not being held together by someone who's really tightly holding the reins, I guess. Um So, (laughs) um, it's pure happenstance that the Vikings show up in Wessex in 871. Like, this is their big move on Wessex. They've been at East Anglia. Let's see. I should draw the map better. East Anglia, obviously, is on the coast, right? So that is the east. Above it is Mm -hmm. Northumbria, right? That's north and on the coast and the east again. And, of course, you get Scotland. (laughs) Um... Buffered so in between Wales and East England you 've got Mercia, and sort of below that you've got Wessex, which covers um, at this point I mean you 've also have Essex and Sussex and Kent, but Wessex covers I would say the part of England that most people know generally yeah um, which is sort of the southern part of England, <laughs> which is what most people know when they think of England right um, mm-hmm. and so um, Wessex and Mercia have kind of been buffered. From, from the Vikings on the coast, on the, on the east coast here, raiding. Um, but they make a push around to Wessex in 871, and that's the year of Alfred's ascension to the throne. Um, so that's pure, pure chance that that A, they don't make a move on Wessex until, you know, until then, and that the person who has just ascended to the throne happens to be this guy who is going to turn out to be a really great, leader warrior etc when i say great leader i don't we're not making moral judgments about kingships or anything here i mean this is not (laughs) but from the standpoint of this is a man who managed to unify this island he did it well i think that's what we're trying to say right so pure chance for the vikings here that that this Mm -hmm. happens and pure chance for england uh and there's a lot of i mean this is why he gets the great and first English king and titles like this, because what would have happened if the Vikings had showed up just a few years earlier? Um, mm, really the possibilities are kind of, hmm. ah, who's to say, I mean, we might not be speaking English. Uh, we might be speaking like Danish or something, you know, who's, who's to say. So, um, anyway, so here we are, right? So they just happened to move, move in on Wessex the year that Alfred ascends, um, and as I said, right, so that's 871, um, and in 878, mm-hmm. he is going to actually beat them fairly decisively, right, at the Battle of Eddington. So that's why this battle's important, because he really, like, he's held them off. They've been also been fighting the Carolingians, right? They've been doing this other stuff. They really make this push. They realize he's not to be trifled with, he, and he manages to sort of beat them decisively. So, um, they need to rethink their strategy against this guy. Um, and this is a big moment for England, really, 878. Um, and Alfred starts building, uh, spelled B-U-R-H, B-U-R-H, burrs, burrs, <laughs> right? burgs <laughs> we would say. Um, so this is a network of fortifications is what it is, right? A burg is a fortified place. Right. Uh, but that's where we get the term burg okay. or burrow, right? Which of course is spelled like O U G H, like, but we don't pronounce any of that anymore, but we used to.
0: And <laughs> burrow. Yes.
1: Yes. These are all Kids
0: Bur- Pittsburgh. Yep. As we don't say. As
1: we don't say, but we could, yes. So these are yeah. all burgs. Burgs. Yes. Um, yeah. So Alfred is building these, and this is his big thing. So this is, this is why we get those. Yeah. He starts building all these fortifications, um, and because he sort of trounced them a bit, he manages to force them to sign a treaty in 886. This is the big one. Um, And it creates what becomes known as the Dane Law. So he essentially agrees to give them what was East Anglia... Plus a little bit north, kind of into Northumbria stuff like this, he basically lets them have that area um, under Danish rule, right? So that's the Dane law, okay? Right? Dane law, so the law of the Danes is what rules there. Um, okay. Yeah, so the Dane law, and um, he gets everything else basically, <laughs> um, and he uses this in some ways along with some marriages that we'll talk about um to get mercia. So he has kind of used the vikings to um weaken mercia essentially and and take it. So this is how he gets mercia, right? We had talked about Alpha built it all the way up. That is should get East Anglia, but the vikings start moving in on that while that fight is going on between sort of, you know, mercia and the vikings raiding and stuff, Wessex under Alfred is like you know, gets its chance. Um, And really because the Vikings come after Alfred right when he ascends to the throne and he's like, nope, I got this. Um, And so then he just, he he gets it all eventually. So, um, yeah, so he kind of uses, so he signs the Dane Law so that they get that. He gets, he basically gets Mercia because he's kind of, you know, it's been weakened with the Vikings. He manages to take it. He also, um, his kids, who are known as Edward the Elder, and that's his son, I mean, he's got other, but, you know, we're talking about the big ones here. Um, so Edward the Elder, sure. son, important son. And Ethelfled, um, who is known as the Lady or Queen of the Mercians, because she marries the guy who's the kind of King of the Mercians, except basically Alfred took it. But also then he marries his okay. daughter to the guy who's ostensibly King, um, who's an Ethelred. Æthel- um, and so this is how Alfred kind of. So Wessex, under Alfred, unifies basically the rest this, this rest of this area of England. So um, we so at this point in England, we have kind of what Alfred has. <laughs> we have the Dane law. Um, that's mostly what we have. Northumbria is,
0: uh... some stuff held by Celtics.
1: Oh yeah, Scotland, well, maybe yes. So this is just what is now England. Wales and Scotland are okay. still doing their thing. Right. Um, And I mean, they're not unified countries, but we are referring to them as Wales and Scotland because that's that's easier. (laughs) And this is England. This episode is England before 1066, so we are referring specifically to the country that is now England, not to the entire island. Yeah. Um, So yes. Um, All right. So um, Edward the Elder. So his kids, Edward and. Ethel fled, right? So his son and his daughter here, um, they start retaking land from the Vikings. Um, so they are kicking it basically. <laughs> um, Alfred has started off some stuff, and um, Eric, he's a Viking, right? Eric, I mean that should not surprise you. Eric a Viking.
0: Right? <laughs> I think we I made that joke last time. <laughs> yes.
1: Sorry, I know, um, but he so he becomes known as Blood X. He is possibly Haroldson. son.
0: It's a um, better Viking name. I'm going to say I know. it. Blood Axe. I know. That's good.
1: I know. It is. I mean, this is the thing. Like, the sagas, I mean, all those names are the name, you know. Anyway, what can we say? Like, these are all things that, that people actually wrote down <laughs> at the time. Like, yes. this was a stereotype when it happened. Okay. Um... <laughs> But yes, so Eric, Blood X, um, re- hangs on as best he can, particularly to Northumbria, um, but he gets kicked out finally in 954. So at this point, Wessex kind of takes it all. Um, so the descendants of Alfred have have got it, basically. So they've got England. <laughs> uh, which is why he is known as the first English king, because he made it, he started it, and then his descendants kind of finish it. So, um, All right, so here we are. Um, The Vikings aren't giving up, though, obviously, right? So they're going to continue to raid. Um, Ethel, we get down to the descendant (laughs) who is very famous. Um, He's been kind of maligned throughout history, and it's a little unfair because he does what he can. Um, But his name made it just so easy to malign him. His name is Ethelred, and he becomes known as Ethelred the Uh. Unready. And this is because his name in Old English means so Ethelred. Um, Red in this case means more like read, r e d e, like counsel, good mm-hmm. counsel. Well, Ethelred means bad counsel. Um, yeah. I mean Ethel no Ethelred means good counsel, and Unred, unready means bad counsel. So Ethelred the unready. We have sort of, today when people say it, they think it means like he wasn't ready for the Vikings. Of course he was ready for the Vikings. They had never not been trying to invade England. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The Danelaw was there for, you know, a fairly long time. Like it's, it's still really kind of there. There's
0: just Vikings living next yes, door. They're
1: still hanging out. So it's, um, you know, and even though they kind of fully got kicked out, of course they're still raiding. Um, but no, what it actually means is Ethelred. Which technically means, like, well, or even, like, noble council. Right? So his name means, like, noble mm-hmm. council, which is a great name for king. But he was, in fact, the Unred, the badly counseled. <laughs> um, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, so Ethelred the Unready. Now, again, this isn't entirely fair to him, but anyway, it's a pun on his name. But it doesn't mean he wasn't ready. It means he was badly counseled. All right. Anyway. So, yes. Yeah, so Ethelred the the well counsel. <laughs> Was so badly cancelled. Uh, but again, who really wasn't? I mean, there's only so much you can do against the Vikings. They are very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. So, the reason, though, he is called the, the Unred, the, you know, unready, um, is that he <laughs> famously loses um, the Battle of Malden in 991. And there's an old English poem about this battle, which has made it even more famous. I mean, I think mean, this was famous enough in its own day that there's a old english poem called the battle of malden but the fact that there is an old english poem called the battle of malden means that its fame persists to this day um, to a great 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 level that you know otherwise we wouldn't i mean otherwise the only people who would probably care so much about this battle are people who specialize in the period of course right medievalists Um, Mm -hmm. but literary scholars and all sorts of people now care about the battle of malden because it's one of the earliest examples in English of a battle poem. I mean, right? So, um, mm-hmm. anyway, so, so it's really, it, it's worth its fame. I mean, it's a very important moment in history, but also it, it kind of has a bit of an outsized name because it has a poem about it. So it is worth the fame, but also <laughs> there is this poem, I guess. Um, but anyway, the point is that the, the English do lose, he gets trounced, the Vikings win, and the reason that this is actually unique. Because obviously this happened a lot, except sort of under Alfred. Um, the reason it's unique is because this, as far as we know, is the first instance of Danegeld in England. Which is to say that Ethelred pays the Vikings to stay away. Right? Wow. This is known as Danegeld. Um, yeah, you pay the money to stay away. As <laughs> uh, simple as that. I mean, this is protection money, Right. right
0: um it's the guy coming down the street and saying uh nice country you got there would be a shame if somebody uh came raiding exactly
1: yes (laughs) so um yeah so this is why the battle of malden is in fact a big moment in history because yeah i mean this is a big moment um and again this is partly why he gets his name um presumably because he lost the battle and had to pay you know, yeah, there you are. There you are. This is what happens. So poor Ethel ready. Reddy. Um, this is what happens to him. Okay, so. <laughs> um, meantime. All right. Who have we got on the Viking side? We are inching our way towards the, like, big thing, right? Because it's still... England still sort of belongs to England. They're paying the Danes to stay away. All right. Sven Forkbeard. Yes. Um, really? Yes. Did he have a forked beard? We (laughs) hope so. Okay. Um, He's important, but also just a fun fact. He is the son of Harold Bluetooth, which is where Bluetooth gets its name. The modern technology. Yes. Yeah. Because Harold Bluetooth um, unified Denmark. So remember, we've been sort of referring to them as the Danes. I've tried not to refer to it as Denmark it obviously Hamlet <laughs> does, but that's retroactive. That's mm-hmm. anachronistic. Um, Den Denmark, like everybody else, you know, it's groups fighting each other, just like England is, right? Uh, but Harold Bluetooth manages to unite Denmark, um, and yeah, I guess Bluetooth technology—they were like we're uniting the world from communication or something. Anyway, you can find this online if you type it in. But they, in fact, named it. Yes. Instagram. Yeah.
0: Good times. Yes. Uh, uh, Bluetooth technology yep. works. Yep. Ninety <laughs> percent of the time it works every time. Yes, exactly. No,
1: maybe not. <laughs> and when it does, it's like, really that's fantastic. A, that's an ambitious amount. Yeah. No, it's you great. Know. Hey. But um all right, so <laughs> yeah, so Harold Bluetooth unites Denmark, he has a kid named Sven Porkbeard. Um, okay, and Sven eventually takes over as king of Denmark. Um he may have revolted against his dad eh, it's not, maybe, who knows, anyway but whatever, he does eventually become king of Denmark he invades England of course, I mean everyone has to, that's how you get paid um, he actually fights it out with Æthelred um, and makes himself king in 1013 but dies a few weeks later so, um, Whoops. yeah <laughs> so Ethelred. he could have been called Ethelred the Lucky, really, I mean I don't know. But anyways, yeah. it's not as punny. It's not as punny to call him. <laughs> um but yeah, so Sven's oldest son, who is a herald as well, um he becomes king of Denmark and his younger son, Knut, whose name will be huge in English history, but not quite yet. Um Knut, that is generally spelled C N U T, although there are other spellings, but um Knut gets made king of England by those who are loyal to the Vikings, but Ethelred comes back and chases him out. Okay. So, um, young Knut is pretty young at this point. We're gonna say teens. It's not entirely clear. Um, but probably, you know. So he gets chased out of England. Alright. But, that was 1013. Um, Ethelred dies in 1016, and his son Edmund Ironside also dies, like, a few weeks or months later. So, 1016, everybody dies, Canute um, returns to England, and England is now Canute's. And he he's it he's it in England for until he dies. Okay, um, and he dies in 1035. So from 1016 to 1035, <laughs> England is Canute's. Um, his brother Harold, you may remember, who was king of Denmark, dies in 1018 ish, um, and Canute then also gets Denmark and eventually Norway. So Canute gets everything. So right now, he's got England and Denmark and Norway. So England is part of this sort of Scandinavian empire that Knut builds. Um, Mm -hmm. Viking empire, if you will. It's worth noting that he is Christian because Bluetooth, Harold famously, uh, converted to Christianity. Oh. So this is a fun moment. Interesting. All right. Now we're going to get into some of the fun marriages. So (laughs) Knut, when he comes back to England, he gets it. You know Ethelred and his son Edmund are both dead, so there's really nobody standing in his way. And Canute, mm-hmm. Canute deserves his his legacy. I mean, Canute's fame, fame, fame. If you if you only know one Viking name connected to England, it's it's definitely Canute. Um, and so as again, right? He is actually Christian, so he fits right in. Um, and he knows immediately, sort of how to rule. I mean, right? He he gets this sense of how to rule. So he comes in. He knows that Wessex right the descendants of alfred and of course at this point ethelred <laughs> um that that's the those are the people who really consider this to be theirs right so they are they become his chief earls they become important right i mean he he knows sort of how to do this uh, and what he does also um is <laughs> he ends up marrying a few people um I mean, obviously, different times, but yeah. he ends up marrying Emma of Normandy, uh, who was Emma of Normandy, right? She obviously was of Normandy, so you will note that there are connections already. Um,
0: the Normandy that's in yes. France, but... Uh... Our boy is gonna invade from. yes
1: Exactly. So Normandy, right? France has been in the picture, of course, this whole time, right? Because the Germanic peoples like the Saxon had been fighting it out there, the Vikings have been fighting it out there. Obviously, it's right across the aisle. So there's all sorts of stuff. And by aisle, obviously, I mean channel, but <laughs> 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 um generally speaking, right? It's it's nearby. Right. So definitely there's a you're a Viking, you've got a yes. boat. It's yes, fine. exactly, right? So there's tons of travel. Obviously the britons themselves travel back and forth so yeah so emma of normandy she had been married to Ethelred. okay yes so <laughs>
0: <laughs> much like claudius
1: yes in this case of course definitely he not related in. i do want to point this out here okay <laughs> um they're they're not related i mean they weren't whatever you know brother and sister mm-hmm. in law or whatever no 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 um but He, yeah, so he marries um, Emma of Normandy and, um, yeah, thereby, of course, having married the widow of um, the previous king, right, Uh, you sort of help solidify your spot. Um, And not just that. Yeah, lock that down. Yeah, but also, of course, um, you essentially... I mean, you solidify your spot, but you also um, make all your potential enemies your relatives. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, which is, of course, the point. Now, sometimes that doesn't work. I mean, sometimes people still want to kill you anyway and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, for, for Knute, it worked. So there you go. All right. Um, so this is one of the people. Um, I was
0: gonna say that's like the plot of um, the Lion in Winter, isn't it? All of your potential enemies are your family members. Yes,
1: yes. (laughs) Basically, I mean they they always are somehow, right? Pretty much. Um, But yeah, so this is this is sort of how Canute takes everything. He gets England. He holds everything, right? Um, All right. So this is great. He's got it all. Um, Obviously, he will die. He dies in ten thirty five. So, uh, first off, um, his kid, his son by his first wife becomes king. That's Harold Harefoot. Presumably meaning he was really fast. Um, right? Like, fast like a hare. Fast like a bunny, right? Um, all right. So Harold Harefoot, um, he becomes king. He dies in 1040. So that's only five years later, right? Then Harthna Knut, who was the son of Emma of Normandy and Knut, right um he then becomes king but dies in 1042 all right okay so that's it for the vikings (laughs) now we get edward the confessor who is the son of ethelred and emma of normandy this is where it all happens okay this is our guy this is the big deal Because (laughs) um, you will remember, of course, Ethelred having chased Knut out and then kind of been chased, but ultimately he dies anyway. Knut comes back, takes it all. Um, Ethelred and the oldest son had died, but Edward the Confessor was hanging on. He was younger, right? The younger kids, you get more time (laughs) to try and survive. Um, Why is he the Confessor? Religious.
0: Was he a pr- priest or something?
1: No, no, no. It's just you know. We'll actually talk a little bit more about um, some of the religious stuff, but it's um, yeah, it's that sort of sort, sort of sense. Um, and so he is. First of all, we should say right. He's considered. He's technically the last king of the House of Wessex, right? Um, because even though, let's see, after Henry the First. Or I guess starting with Henry the Second. Starting with Henry the Second, um, most we talked about this last time, right? Most people on the throne <laughs> of England are descended from the House of Wessex, right? So Alfred right. the Great's descendants sort of maintain the rule over England. Once we get to Henry the mm-hmm. Second, because Henry the First married a woman who was descended from the House of Wessex, um, yeah. but but the male line, right? They are going to be from other places ultimately. Yeah. so Wessex hangs on
0: I went down a real rabbit hole after our last conversation about this because in 1066 what we're about to talk about right Wessex sort of ceased to exist as a place and as a title and it got revived in I want to say 1999 when Prince Edward got married and became the Earl of Wessex as his you know, happy wedding, here's your courtesy title. Wow. Um, and it, he picked it because it was used in Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Anachronistically. Yes. There was a Wessex. Yes. Yep. And Edward works in the entertainment industry, um, being a, one of the royals who's not in direct line to, right. you know, become right. king. <laughs> and he was a fan of the movie, I think.
1: That's fantastic. Well, and it's Colin Firth. Right. Yes. So Yeah. I mean Yes, yeah. and that we should point out was written by Thomas Stoppard and was a and Tom Stoppard, of course, from Born in What Ah. What at some point in time was Czechoslovakia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is born there. He leaves because of the Iron Curtain and he is English, English, English all the way. But, um, but yeah. And he writes rock and roll, which is sort of posits a character like him, but who stays. What it what, So sort of positing what if he'd stayed? Um, but yes. So he definitely put that reference to Wessex in as a kind of, um, I don't know, tongue-in-cheek nod to British history in many ways. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Which is sort of funny. <laughs> um, but yes. So um, anyway, yeah. So yeah, Wessex, it, it holds this sort of, almost like Arthur, but with better luck, I guess, right? It holds this place in, in English history. Um, but that's fantastic. And really funny because, of course, it it's so important historically Which is why it's sort of tongue-in-cheek in in the movie, but to choose it because of the movie, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so Edward the Confessor, we should point out, um, is the, let's see, only King of England, I think, who has been um, canonized. Yeah. And so this is right, the Confessor. So he's religious. That's where he gets his title.
0: Okay. I feel like it's hard to be a good king and also be a good religious person.
1: That is the key. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. um,
1: but he is not... He, uh, I mean, he... Uh, he wasn't necessarily saintly, shall we say. Um, he's canonized... I mean, it's very political. It's clearly very political that he is canonized. Okay. Um Yes.
0: We should point out, he was canonized um, not too long after he died, like, in the 1100s or something. So, uh, it was not like... I mean, it was political at the time, probably. Yes.
1: yes, Yeah. No, no. That is the point. That is definitely the point. Um, But yeah, so basically... (laughs) Yeah, so Edward the Confessor, um, yeah, he is definitely canonized out of... um, Yeah. (laughs) Various politics that are going on, um, but he is technically the last king of the House of Wessex, for reasons that are about to become obvious. Um, And the sort of fun fact that he um, you know, (laughs) managed to kind of outlive Canute, basically, because Canute's sons really don't manage to live very long. Um, But also the fun fact of like Emma of Normandy, right? So her kid with Knut becomes king, and then, of course, her kid with Ethelred becomes king. That's the one that's going to matter, ultimately. As big a difference as Knut kind of made in England in a lot of ways, um, it's this kid that's really going to make the difference when it comes to Emma of Normandy's kids, um, because. Uh, Knut is huge. He unifies all this stuff. But obviously when he dies, both his kids die. You know, Denmark and Norway and England go very separate directions. Um, Edward the Confessor, who's been hanging on here right as the kid of Ethelred and M of Normandy takes over. He has been hanging out in guess where all this time? Normandy. That is where his mom was from. Okay. Um, you know, sure. he had to avoid Knut. So he's been living in exile, waiting for his chance for like decades. Probably for like 25 years. <laughs> so that is in fact decades. Um, so he's just been waiting. He's been waiting in his mom's homeland. He's been hanging out in Normandy, doing his thing. And when Hartnick dies, he gets his chance. <laughs> um, so he comes on back over from Normandy. Um... He had a really good time in Normandy and there were some people there like some dude named William <laughs> yeah. um, who you know he was like thank you for letting me spend my time here perhaps I will let you take over after me in England if that seems like the right thing to do I'll have to think about it <laughs> um, so he heads, he heads back across the channel um, takes over um, and like Knut did, right? He finds all the powerful people and he becomes related to them. <laughs> so, um, the, the big, like, I mean, the dude who's sort of the most important dude around, um, is Godwin. And he kind of, he's the head of the House of Wessex. He, basically, I mean, he kind of owns Wessex at this point because of Knut, right? He was a good okay. ally. He did everything. So he, he kind of owns everything. And he's got a lot of kids. Uh, one of them is, well, she, her name becomes Edith when she marries Edward the Confessor. Um, so we'll call her Edith. Um, so she is the daughter of Godwin. He also has a kid named Harold, who would be known as Harold Godwin's son. Right? Um, and Harold becomes very close to Edward. You know, they're brothers-in-law. And mm-hmm. um, when Edward dies. He does not leave clear instructions. He dies in 1066. I don't know if we saw this coming, (laughs) but he does die in 1066, (laughs) and he does not leave super clear instructions about his succession, because succession, his succession. um, And so, Harold, who has been kind of the right-hand man, and is, of course, the brother to the queen, um, decides he's going to take over and kind of protect the queen and also become king. And he's an he's important guy. I mean, you know, he is, the, he is Godwin's son. He's the son of Godwin, who's sort of one of the most important men in the kingdom. old um, Godwin's son becomes king, and he seems to be elected. Um, there were some people who were like, oh, he like forced them to crown him. But it's not clear that that's true. Um, you know, everyone was kind of in town for religion and various reasons, and, you know, they crowned him king. Why not? He's He's important. He was close to the previous king he is the brother of the queen he's the son of godwin i mean he's an important guy so harold godwinson becomes crowned uh william who we may remember hanging out in normandy um Mm -hmm. you know he's got norm he's just called william the bastard
0: at that point right yes
1: that is who he is yep yeah he will (laughs) become known as william the conqueror
0: (laughs) but he's got to do some conquering first he
1: does he does and he's about to
0: Yeah, spoiler alert. Yes. Guess where he conquers.
1: Yes. So, um, he was like, hey, I hung out with this dude for, like, years. He hung out in Normandy, right, Edward? When he was exiled from his own kingdom, this is where his mom's from. I let him, you know, (laughs) eat my food and whatever. (laughs) He said he was gonna make me king, and I am gonna make that happen, right? You do what you have to to make it to make your own destiny. Um, and so he does. And he famously, right, he sails across the mm-hmm. aisle. Um, we want to point out, by the way, that Harold is challenged by other people as well. So he is also challenged by um, some Vikings and some others. And he manages to fight off everybody else in battle. Kills, kills other pretenders to the throne or maybe contenders, mm-hmm. however you want to call them. He's definitely thought of them as pretenders, but, you know. Um, so he he does a lot of other fighting. Um, and also worth pointing out that, like, you know, his, his attention is a little bit divided, because William isn't his only threat. Okay, that being said, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, William mounts an excellent invasion, um, and... Famously, at the Battle of Hastings, he kills, well, he and his forces kill Harold. And that is that. Um, And William, the most sort of impressive part. shall not
0: cry Harold anymore.
1: Yes. (laughs) Or something. um, And the most amazing part, really, is the fact that he then manages to hang on to this, right? So much as Alfred the Great Mm -hmm. is heralded as kind of being the first and really setting the path, and in many ways he does, um, William. You know, seeing William as the first king of England both is and isn't fair to history. Um, he's not. He definitely isn't. I mean, he definitely is not the first king of, of England. Um, because, you know, Alfred may in fact deserve that title, sure. Um, he unifies it. It seems fair. Um... But then there are certainly other people after him, you know, the House of Wessex and various others who continue to be important. Canute, of course, unifies England. Um, But what makes William so sort of impressive, right, is that he helps create the England that we know today. Which is to say not just that he starts off (laughs) what is a surprisingly stable country in many ways after that. Um, There's plenty of fighting for the kingship. It's not that but he is the last um, successful invasion of England which is astonishing we've just ended an entire couple centuries of the Vikings continuously invading England
0: yeah
1: um, and the fact that William manages to be to the last successful invasion is incredible I mean it's truly astonishing huh. um, it's not of course all down to later kings or even to England but it's it's impressive it's very impressive um, so there's that. That is one of the things. But of course, beyond that, um, is the fact that his invasion really helps crystallize what has been going on this whole time, which is that England as an island, and English ultimately as a language, be- is a, such a huge hodgepodge of stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. So we start with uh, Britain, right? It's Celtic. It's a, right? Celtic peoples. Rome comes in. So you get Latin, which, of course, is where you get Romance languages. Um, Then Germanic peoples come in, right? Saxons, Angles, Jutes. So you get German. The Vikings come in, right? So you get sort of Danish and Norse, which are deeply embedded. Some of our pronouns and stuff, right? There's some deeply embedded Mm -hmm. things in the English language. Okay. Um, And then, of course... I mean, Breton, right? So you've got Celtic connections back and forth, and now you also get French, right, Romance language connections. You've had the Romans in England, but now you get French, right? You get Norman French in England. Um, and that is how we get English as a language, right? This is why English doesn't seem like it's a Germanic language. Its base is, but so much of it isn't. Um and it has the biggest vocabulary of any language on earth because it just absorbs stuff, and it has always done that, right? That as a language, it works in a very bizarre sort of way um, because it's had all these influences, um, and that aspect of English as a language of England as a culture um, is something that we get from the, from this invasion, right? Which is to say that much as England is insular, and we just had Brexit and all that stuff, it's a really multinational place. Multinational, multicultural, multilingual. Um, And William of Normandy really kind of um, helps crystallize that fact. So you get all these groups of people hanging out. With all these different languages and all these different customs and all these different cultures... Um, and it's something, of course, we like to think is true of the U.S., which it is, hopefully, but only yeah. for, like, a few hundred years, right? England has been mm-hmm. doing this for, like, 2,000 years <laughs> since the Romans showed up, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so there we go. That's ten- so that's how we got to 1066. Um, and, nice. Yeah, and there we go. Um, Famously, of course, we get the Bayou Tapestry, which is probably made in England. Um, embroidery is something that England that English women do very very well um, we talked about crafts in a different episode and we talked a lot about England um, in the later middle ages but embroidery is something they do really well the tapestry is an embroidery by the way it's not actually tapestry um, but yeah so they probably embroider it for Bishop Otto that's Odeo um, who is the see the, the brother-in-law or the half-brother of uh, William of Normandy um, and yeah that's how we get the bio-tapestry, which is the <laughs> one of the most famous I'm... embroidered depictions of a battle. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I can't think of any others offhand. But I'm also a little disappointed because I, I believe I was told that it was just William's wife sitting at home waiting for him to come back from invading England. Oh, and she was yeah. like, oh, I'm bored. What am I going to do? I guess I'll put together a tapestry. Yes.
1: Tony Kushner tells us, well, has one of his characters tell a story like that in Angels in America. Um, It is not, in fact, true. (laughs) I think he does suggest, yeah, that William's (laughs) wife, who's one of the many Matildas, we might have a whole episode on Matildas. Yes. um, Yeah, that she somehow, like, sat around and embroidered it. Um, No. I mean, it was embroidered by noble women, presumably. But, yes, clearly by a group. Okay. I mean, there's probably a mastermind behind it and you know but who designed it and then she and her mm-hmm. fellow women sure. did it that's how studio work like,
0: like a like a quilting yes. bee
1: yeah um yeah absolutely but um yes it was not the yeah waiting for him to come back for war. yeah it was i know it's a great story um i think lewis tells it prior tells it to make lewis feel bad i don't quite remember anyway um it makes sense, because Pryor is supposedly related to people who go all the way back to, like, the, ba- the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> yes. Um, but. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yes, you know, that's a sort of romantic tale.
0: Yeah, it could potentially be that I heard it from Angels in America. but
1: <laughs> That moment always sticks out to me, because it's such a great story, even though it's not true. Um, but anyway, yeah, so there we are. Um, I believe we have perhaps used our time, and we will maybe next time we will talk about like riddles and stuff that would be a great thing to talk about okay um because our yeah. next episode that we'll be recording is our 50th
0: yeah i think that the old english wrote a lot of uh different poetry and riddles yes. and so we should
1: give that its own episode
0: um chronicles yes
1: um, all sorts of yeah, things. yeah because the poetry is really phenomenal obviously Beowulf. so we'll talk we want to talk a lot about Beowulf. <laughs> um and, all right. but, all of, but all of the stuff, yeah, the poems are amazing. I mean, the, the literature is amazing, right? Um, and it often does overshadow the history behind it, which we have just given, partly because it is kind of so confusing, right? Um, there are all these little mm-hmm. pieces fighting it out. The other y- unique and extraordinary thing about William is that after 1066, England, the island of, I mean, it's, well, it's the Isle of Britain, right? But England as a country, and then sort of, you know, is, it's like, it is unified. It's a nation after this. Um, And while before him, I had said, and this is partly due also to Canute, right? Um, And certainly to Alfred. um, But really, you know, um, Alfred's kids, for a long time, when the Vikings would invade and stuff, it would kind of fall back apart into its sort of pieces, Right? So, Wessex, Mercia, Northumberland, stuff like this. Um, and even after Alfred, it would, con- it would occasionally sort of fall apart back into pieces. And Canute really unifies it, and then, um, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, obviously, we get Edward <laughs> the Confessor, we get, sort of, we get Harold, but really we get William. Um, and after that, England is England. And so, even when they're fighting it out with Scotland and with Wales, and, you know, whatever fighting they're doing, fighting with France, of course, all the time. Um, England remains a a nation. So England really has unified. it does not, again, there's civil war, right? There's all sorts of stuff. And if you, of course, now you know Shakespeare, why it's so important that we've got like the Earl of Northumberland here and various people like that, right? Um, They are important, but there's not a sense, really, that they can be autonomous, right? It's like the idea of Texas seceding from the U.S., right? It's not, we joke about it, it's not really going to happen, right? <laughs> like, they're sort of independent, right. but they also are not really independent, right? They're a state. Um, and so really after William, England is a nation, and they're one of the earliest nation states to really solidify that way in Europe in the Middle Ages. Um, so there are, there are a lot of impressive, unique things that do happen really in 1066, which is why, um, you know, that's sort of where England likes to start its history, yeah. but also why before that, it, it can be confusing, right? And it's true, like, because mm-hmm. Wessex disappears for a thousand years, until Stoppard, um, you know, <laughs> it's it can almost seem kind of fictional, right? Like a fictional place. Yeah. So, yeah, so there is this sort of interesting sense of English history before that being somehow just you know a little bit messier <laughs> um and so the literature is something people tend to know without really knowing what was going on behind it
0: mm-hmm. yeah. well now that we have the background we'll be able to dive into the literature so listeners your homework for next time is grab a copy of beowulf and uh give it a little yes. flip through Ooh,
1: we have a special version I- to recommend
0: we do. Is it the Marina Headley
1: yes, version? It is.
0: Yes, that's a very good version.
1: We'll talk about it next time.
0: Um, Seamus Haney, obviously. Yes. Also very famous. I think those are probably my top two. Yep.
1: That seems so, fair. Yeah. yeah. So those are good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can also find on YouTube. Um, you know, in in actual and old English, but if, if you so desire. Oh boy. Yes.
0: yes. Um. Yeah, give it a listen. Could be cool. Probably won't be quite as comprehensible as hearing like the Canterbury Tales read aloud. Definitely not,
1: nope.
0: Yeah, (laughs) but it can be nice to hear the the rhythm and stuff. And we'll talk about that next time. Yay! So thank you for talking to me, and thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, why don't you think of a friend who might also like it and send it to them? That would be cool, right? You can also review us on Apple Podcasts. You can visit us on our website at um, askmedievalist.com. There's a contact us form there. There's a Facebook page for Ask Medievalist. And there's also a Twitter handle that occasionally even does some tweeting, which is at Ask Medievalist. So until next time, have a great time doing whatever and reading Beowulf and keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons attributional non-commercial license version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at